0: August 22, 1996, 22-year-old Debbie Dorian was discovered bound, gagged, raped, and murdered in her apartment. Her father was the one to have made the horrific discovery, and to this day, her killer has never been apprehended, and her case has gone cold. However, he did leave behind his genetic marker, his DNA. Though he would lay dormant for nearly three years, he did strike again raping at least seven more women in the Visalia, California area, linked to all of those crimes through his DNA. But Debbie would be the only known victim to have died at his hands. With DNA technology having advanced by leaps and bounds over the last 22 years, as well as some recent very high profile cases in California that had long been cold being solved. It is our hope to shine a light on Debbie's case to bring this killer and rapist to justice and a measure of closure for Debbie's family and friends who have waited much too long for answers. With the blessings of Debbie's mother, Sarah, and the help and guidance of her best friend, Katina, California Dreaming and Orbital Jigsaw are bringing you their story in episode 64, The Unsolved Murder of Debbie Dorian.
1: An Eye for an Eye podcast contains subject matters that many may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised.
2: Oh, that's true. But that us will do anything you want to. Uh-huh. I'm laughing on the track, rapping on the tracks back, and i am back. I'ma keep pedaling back till I get it one more time. I'ma have a sack one time, like I was Miles Garrett or Von Miller. I ain't come around to fuck, I'm a killer. I'm no chilla, Matty, as they call me, but I'm bawling till I'm falling. Hit the ground and then I am stalling. Run it back and I will be bawling around town. Everybody knows that I throw it down without a beat now. I'm ready to record.
1: You were recording. I just got lost in the hour.
2: I do think I have a sexy voice on the radio, though. Am I the only one that thinks this? Someone check with me.
1: I kind of like the way this sounds in my head. Hello, you are so great. I kind of like the way this sounds in my head. (laughs) Okay.
2: (laughs) Good evening, ladies and germs. It's evening.
1: Well, it could be afternoon where they're listening.
2: It could be the middle of the night where they're listening.
1: could be the morning where they're listening.
2: Wherever the hell you are, hello.
1: Hello, welcome to... Hi for an iPod guest from Murderly Network. We are your hosts.
2: Matt
1: <laughs> and Lisa. And we are here to discuss with you whether or not we believe us two here, because we don't have anybody else in the room right now.
2: Anybody else? <laughs> LeBron? <laughs> no, LeBron. He's not really here.
1: Okay. Um, there's We're a poster
2: to- of LeBron hanging on my wall that I consult for things sometimes. So <laughs> I just you know, wanted to see if he was listening. He wasn't.
1: Yes, we are here to discuss with you whether or not the punishment fits the crime. All opinions we in are. the show are matinized only regarding the show at hand, so don't get it twisted.
2: All rights reserved.
1: Yes. All right, Matt, so just before we get started, we just wanted to remind everyone, currently... Oh, oh my God, currently. Our Patreon-exclusive series of Blind Eye is out.
2: Oh, yeah, baby. That's the real mind bender honestly at least we're gonna be talking about some cases they're gonna be having people like calling us up and like needing some counseling in the middle of the night because you can't sleep you right know what i mean the but first yeah, one a
1: lot of people say that about the first episode The
2: first one we did literally has gotten a lot of feedback already and if you guys haven't seen it yet check out elisa lamb our first episode we did for uh it's well you gotta join the wild. patreon group but uh, you know go ahead and do that it's only a dollar and yeah. it's a so
1: dollar a month it gets you this exclusive content And if you weren't sure and you haven't heard already, um, basically a blind eye is covering pretty much any case that doesn't work for Eye for an Eye. So if there's no punishment to fit a crime. A blind eye is basically just all the unsolved cases, conspiracies, UFO, alien encounter, paranormal, anything and everything that doesn't fit into the main. Any
2: of the weird shit that you guys have always wondered about. Yeah. Some of the cases that we all have been like, you know... What ha- what really happened in some of these true st- based on a true stories? Yeah, you know, because some of those cases are truly, I want to say like they leave an impression on you, like they're this they're resounding with one, the it. The
1: first one messed me up. The
2: first one messed me up. That that had me after I reread everything and saw everything and saw the water tank she was in i got real confused real quick
1: yeah so if you don't know who we're talking about go check out our first blind eye episode (laughs) On Elisa Lamb. Also, our website is launched. That's ifrypod.com. Everything and anything you could ever want to know about our show is on there. Links to our Patreon, links to our shop, our merch shop, links to all of our social media sites so you can get in the convo. So go check it out. We out here. All right, Matt. Today, we are talking about a case that really, really... Confused a lot of people, really. It it horrified people. It confused people. And it really got people thinking.
2: Still many people not sure what the hell happened.
1: Well, that and also it it made people think, you know, the power of brainwashing is Stockholm Syndrome. If that's a real thing. I know a lot of people debate whether it's a real thing or not.
2: I don't know how people can debate that. I think there's been enough evidence to the fact. I mean, we've seen some of the more high profile cases like Elizabeth Smart. This is a high profile case. Um, I mean, there have been a lot of instances where it's a recurring theme.
1: Yeah. Today we're talking about the girl in the box, and that is Colleen Stan. For me, this house is (laughs)
2: kind of a house of horror. She's the kidnap victim once known as the girl in the box, imprisoned for seven years in a wooden crate. I did think I was going to (laughs) die. I was terribly claustrophobic. I was having such a hard time breathing.
1: Matt, you want to tell us a little bit about our background?
2: Yeah, let's let's dive into Colleen a little bit. So, Colleen was born on December thirty first, nineteen fifty six. Uh, by all accounts, she had a very average life and grew up to be your average teenager. Plenty of friends, did very well in school. Prided herself on being somewhat of a seasoned hitchhiker.
1: Do you think people hitchhike anymore?
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Back in the day, I was just going to say it was a lot more common. Mm-hmm. So like anybody that's sitting there now going like, what the fuck? Like, look, my dad hitchhiked. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like it was a thing back then. You know, like when you were a kid, there wasn't Uber. You didn't have a cell phone to call a cab. Yeah. Oftentimes, if you it. lived Getting in some places. it's
1: kind of like hitchhiking.
2: In a way, but it's a lot more official. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and actually, it's really nothing like hitchhiking because yeah. it's all, you're paying and you're yeah, getting yeah, set you're up right. with it beforehand. Although
1: sometimes people said hitchhiking back in the day, there were sometimes like payments. But
2: like, Oh yeah, no. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure a few dicks got sucked. I'm sure a few oh people God. got paid in money <laughs> and money in other ways. Uh, you can cut that out. That was, that was a little <laughs> raunchy. I'm sorry. Cut that out for sure. But I'm sure a few things were paid. A few transactions took place in some of those cars, whether it be money or other favorites but i'm just saying you know i think hitchhiking is not nearly as common now as it was but you know back then it was a thing so hitchhiking was normal and acceptable people got around you know that's how you did it if you didn't have a car so nowadays in the us local governments obviously discourage or even outlaw hitchhiking uh just based on the safety of drivers and hitchhikers alike because it's not something that anybody has recommended. Like Lisa said, it's not safe. You don't know who you're getting in a car with. Or you mm-hmm. don't know who might be getting in your car. Um, so either way, you know, we we suggest avoiding it. I myself have tried twice to hitchhike. I had someone pull over, and I never hitchhiked again. The first time I did it, it was like down near. Over oh, you. First time I was seventeen and it didn't work, and I wasn't by myself. Second time I was in state college, it was late as hell. This was before Uber kids. It was late as hell. I was, and I mean late as hell is in four o'clock in the morning, like early as hell. I should say. I
1: forget that Penn State's a big because like nowhere in OU is like
2: no. Yeah, it was far enough that like I was not trying to walk. I was twenty two. I was not trying to walk, but at that time, I just said, you know what. Who's even going to be out except delivery drivers and drunk people? Whatever. I don't you know. But somebody will probably pick me up. So I was. I was walking down Atherton with my thumb out. And uh, dude pulled over.
1: Ew.
2: And I'm thinking like. I
1: love that I immediately say you. That's nothing against No,
2: it it wasn't like he was even driving like a creepy car or something. Like he was driving like a Ford Taurus or something like that. Like some regular looking car. Not like a nice car, but like a regular looking car. And I walked up, and the dude was probably in, like, his 30s. And just the way he approached the whole thing. Not like he was creepy towards me, but he was just very, like... I was almost like, why'd you pull over, dude? Like, he was, like, sketched out by me. (laughs) And then he started, like, saying, like, yeah, yeah, like, I'll take you there, but do you know where, like, could you get me, like... Basically asked me if I could get him into a party or if I could get him, like, some, you know... Any party favors, if you know what I'm saying? Goodness. Well Well Yeah, booger dr- sugar, some of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> or 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 something of the like. You know, he yeah. said, you know anybody and I'm like Nah. You know, we talked about like payments get exchanged, and I'm like, dude, to be straight up with you, I'm not in that game and I'm not doing that at three o'clock in the morning. I already had my fun tonight. I'm going home. Yeah. So I can go home or that's that. And at that point he said something to the effect of well, how far would you go for, like, 20 minutes? I was like, all right, I'll see you later. <laughs> Bye. But that that whole, it, like, he was just a weird guy. Like, why would you even at that point pull over to ask somebody for some drugs yeah. or to ask for some ridiculous amount of money that I was never going to pay him 20 bucks to go? It would have been a five-minute car ride, 10-minute car ride.
1: Did you know some states in the U.S., Uh, some governments outlawed hitchhiking on the basis of the drivers and hitchhikers' safety. I wonder how, though, like, they would prove that you were a hitchhiker. Like, just prove that there was no relationship prior.
2: Well, think about people like Eileen Warnes.
1: Yeah, fucking up, guys, left and right. That's
2: what I mean. Like, honestly, like, people like her. But, like,
1: how do you prove that they were hitchhiking? Like, if someone's in your car, how could... Like, yeah, I could be like, I don't know her, but, like, why did you pick her up then? Who would be in trouble, the hitchhiker or the hitchhiker? I don't think
2: you'd get in trouble for...
1: Because it's outlawed.
2: I think once you got pulled over, you'd probably have to fest to it. But I think if you were walking on the side of the road no, hitchhiking, be like hitchhiking, I think if you were on the side of the road hitchhiking, then you could get pulled over oh, okay, or stopped, is what it, they're saying. Like sense. Not like if you're in the car that they yep. could actually do anything. Um, but Colleen was one of those people who, honestly, and I thought the same way at the time.
1: And she, like we said back then, it was common. This was a way. Wasn't a a weird thing. thing, It wasn't dangerous. It wasn't seen as so dangerous.
2: Or if it was, it was a necessary sometimes risk. Yeah. You know? So Colleen believes she was easily able to identify whatever danger might be in front of her because, you know, she's done it before. She's cautious and just would not get in the car with somebody like that, like I didn't. And this is where it is very important to note, guys. And I love that you pointed this out, Lisa, because it's the theme of. Something I've been working on for a long time. You know what you need like, really soon. I'm not gonna say anything specific. I'll tell you guys soon, but I'm not gonna say it. But <laughs> uh the the point of this whole case, I think that we really need to take away is that evil does not have one particular face.
1: Absolutely.
2: It, the devil appears in many forms.
1: Ooh, I like the way you said that.
2: It's the truth, though.
1: It you, is. You can't...
2: You can see The devil doesn't cherry pick. <laughs> you can see him everywhere if you look.
1: Because, like, you be. know, stereotypical and, like, horror movies, you see, like, creepy ghosts in the corner. That's not, that's not what evil looks like all the time. No. And so I feel like that's so many times what we're trained to, like, oh, if they don't look like that, then they're fine.
2: Go look at the pictures associated with a lot of the cases we've done, if you don't believe that.
1: Especially Ted Bundy. he was. Ted
2: Bundy's a good... Dennis Rader's a good one. I mean, Dennis Rader looks like my next-door neighbor. Like, you know, literally... He was somebody's next-door neighbor. You know, John Wayne Gacy, they just thought he was a guy who liked kids and, you know, he's a clown in his spare time, but other than that, he had a good job. Seriously, that's what his neighbors said. Nobody ever said anything like, that guy's a fucking weirdo. You need to stay away from him. (laughs) Don't let him near your kids.
0: Yeah.
1: You know I'm what I mean?
2: He, he was a clown in his spare time. That's literally the thing he that is. Because people. I oh, know me too. He's one of my like all time most Freaky researched player. people. He's just so weird. But literally, I think honestly, like it's so true that you just can't peg people as that's what it's supposed to look like. That's what it's not.
1: Yeah. Because you're going to get yourself into a tizzy like Colleen sure did find herself in.
2: Exactly. So. It is not always the creepy looking person in the corner that is the most nefarious and the one you should worry about. Tell us why, at
1: So as we said, Colleen was, she considered herself a seasoned hitchhiker. I mean, she was only about 20 at the time, but you know, she'd had hitchhiked a few times and she knew what to look out for. So she thought, um, and, and she thought she knew, you know, what she was doing. And so, On May 19th, which, again, in May, Matt, swear to God, everything is Always
2: happens around your birthday. Right? May 19th,
1: 1977, Colleen had a friend's birthday to attend. Now, her friend didn't live close by. Well, I guess a little bit, but she lived in Eugene, Oregon, and her friend's house was in Northern California, and she did not have a license to drive. I actually don't know if she had a license, but I don't think she had a car. So she figured, why not do what I've done a thousand times before, I'm going to hitch a ride. I'm going to I'm going to go, you know, get myself a ride. Surely someone's going from Oregon, Oregon to Northern California. Someone's passing through at least. So we'll we'll sort that out. So she packed her things and she did head out to find herself a ride. Now, she mentions that she had let two rides pass who had stopped to let her in their cars to drive her where she was going pass so she had encounters with two people who stopped where she was like no like no thank you thanks for the offer but i'm, I'm you know i'm good um so she saw something in two other people that saw, what what a hitchhiker ride be called like rides that stopped i guess a uh, jitney is that really what it's called
2: i mean jitney is what you call somebody now that picks you up but it's normally arranged so i guess you could still call it that. yeah
1: so she let two cars that had stopped for her pass up. She didn't she didn't feel comfortable with those people. She thought, you know, those are who, you know, I'm supposed to look out for. That's the bad guy, stereotypical. So she's waiting. She's at the side of the road waiting with her thumb out. And a um. Yeah. So she she got this weird feeling from them. And a few, you know, minutes passed by, a couple minutes. And a blue van pulled up to offer Colleen a ride. Now, it was a minivan. It's a blue, very welcoming color. Uh, blue. And it's a, a minivan. It wasn't like a no, yeah. scary rape van. That's
2: what I mean. Yeah, it's not like the dude pulled up in, you know, a hearse. Right?
1: <laughs> and he was young. He was good looking. He was in the car with his wife and a baby. So she's thinking to herself, okay, they're in a child-friendly car. It's a It's a little family. They're like a little sweet family. Um, the man was young. The woman was young. They seemed harmless. They had a baby in the back seat. Like, what could go wrong if I let them? She tr- she trusted them. She felt safe in their presence. They were very uh, welcoming to her, so she decided to accept that ride, Matt. She would later recount feeling quote confident climbing into the blue van end quote. Unfortunately, though, Matt, she would find out the only thing that was in that van was pure evil. So Matt, tell us about who was in the van. We're going to take a little side swipe into the background of the people in this van before we go into the rest of Colleen's experience.
2: Yeah, I just want to take a brief second also just to mention, guys, that if you're ever in an uncomfortable situation, obviously this was a different era. But if you're ever in in an uncomfortable situation, there are a lot of outlets for it. Lisa and I will post some links at the end of this but there Absolutely. are crisis hotlines there are situations where you can call without even having to speak mm-hmm. you can and the text number in some yes well. exactly and the number will dial and if you don't have access to a phone i mean you can even buy things on like mm-hmm. life alert there are things now that apple have things watch for younger people you apple have- watch has a button now i mean like even but uh there are stuff out there that like it's technology is is Helping us solve some of these problems, but I just wanted to point that out quickly before we dive
1: important, into
2: important. Cam and Jan, as I like to call them <laughs> so unaffectionately. <laughs> we get this information about Cameron and Janice from the Criminal Minds Wiki because
1: there's not a lot of info on them, like their backgrounds.
2: Yeah, the yeah, they're kind of shadowy figures until we yeah. find out about their whole sprees. There's little known about the early life of them. Uh, Cameron was born in Alturas, California on November 5th, 1953. His family moved a lot when he was a kid, and they didn't even really settle down anywhere until 1969 in Red Bluff when he was already 16 at that point. Uh, and very much not so impressionable anymore, but still impressionable enough as a 16-year-old. Yeah. But in seventy two, Cameron graduated from high school and began to work at a local lumber mill. Over that next year, he met Janice and
1: Cameron and Jan. I can't get that. Cameron Jan. I, I hate you.
2: She was only fifteen at the time, uh, but it was reported that um, up until then she had been in an abusive household. And- really hadn't received too much love from anybody as far as a family. It's
1: important to note because you're going to have a lot of questions for Jan. And We see this.
2: so many of these cases where it's always the victims were victims or oh, I'm sorry, were I'm sorry, the perpetrators were victims. It's
1: just a cycle, like it's so horrible.
2: I I, I would almost say the victims were victims of victims.
1: Yeah. You know? All just a bunch of victims. That's all it is. I don't know if Cameron was so much of a...
2: No, yeah, we don't know enough about his story, and it seems kind of almost like he didn't really have anything like that from what we do know, but... Um, it so definitely
1: explains a lot that we'll see with Janice going forward. Right,
2: it does. Uh, but really, so no sentimental love in her life up until this point, until she met Cameron. Uh, part of the reason why she probably put up with his eventual abuse in their relationship. Uh, so he was one of those S&M type of people, which, hey, we're all for that. If you're into that, consent consent consent. is key. If you're into it, that's great. Just make sure you guys are all consenting, doing what you're doing, and being safe. Uh, Hell, have a spotter if you need. Call me, you know. Um, But Cam was into the world of bondage and sadomasochism. Uh, Seems as if Janice was kind of, you know, into that or willing to do whatever it took to please Cameron, so she would... You know, basically take part in whatever he wanted her to do in the Sado sesh. Uh, even though...
0: I'm sorry, you keep
1: abbreviating things. <laughs> it's killing me. What, I love you, it, the Sado sesh. you never I had
2: a good Sado sesh?
1: I want that to be what this is called, but I feel like that will offend
2: people. No, you can't do that.
1: Because this isn't, this isn't... I was going
2: to say, have you, you ever gotten your let out? But if you want to <laughs> use that as the title, yeah, yeah you ever gotten your let out, that's more than mm-hmm. fine. And for those of you unfamiliar with Led Zeppelin's music, get your ass out from under the rock of Gibraltar.
1: Oh, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, So it seems uh, as if, you know, this relationship was based in, you know, not only sexual, but gratification, but also, uh, you know, some sort of...
0: Power. Bondage
2: and power, and you know, one dominance over the other. And
1: he was uh, abusive, yeah. He
2: was. He, in one of these incidents, he supposedly almost drowned Janice, and she still was, you know, okay with it, I guess, beyond that point, which is yeah. surprising. I'd be at that point probably a little the bit sketched. Out. Cameron's favorite game that they would, if you want to call it, get into was to hang Janice by her wrists completely naked. And hit her several times with a bullwhip.
1: Oh, before we went to the little tiny break that we took, um, what I was going to say is... Oh, yes. It's interesting to think about, which we'll discuss later. I don't want to discuss now, but think about this. Keep this question in your head, and listeners keep this in your head as well. Do you think she was um, into it as well? Do you think she was doing it because she liked him and wanted to please him? Did she do it because she was abused? Um, That's an interesting thing to keep in mind because it really does end up playing out what happens here. But yeah, it's interesting to note, is she a victim type of thing? Which we'll go over but, maybe not a victim, but was she
2: Stockholm Syndrome or was she an accomplice?
1: Well that, and like, was she compliant in this stuff with her? Like, was it BDSM where there was two consenting parties? Or did he kind of like do it on
2: her coerce her. i yeah. don't know it's tough to say
1: yeah but we'll go over it more
2: yeah okay we'll dive in further the hookers were married and no they are not hookers that is their name the hookers <laughs> were married on january 18th 1975 at which time cameron had already informed janice that he intended to abduct a stranger and force her into sexual slavery so he could have a menage a trois.
1: So she got married, knowing that that was something he had longed to do.
2: Well, I mean, she already knew that he liked to chain her up by her wrists and smack her with a bullwhip naked. So I think she knew he was a little beyond the limit. But I think at that point, I'm wondering why she didn't hit the deck or run.
1: That's like that's a good question. That's whatever. It's kind of like was it, was she abused so hard that she was scared, or was she into it, or? Was there a weird line? Did she really love him? These are all questions to ponder going into this case even further. But she knew that this was something that he expected from their marriage.
2: Right. Which is a little odd, if you want to say it lightly. But I also think that I, I'm saying a little odd if she knew and was
0: okay not
2: complicit. No, no, no. I mean, oh. if she was not complicit with it. If she, you know, like if she was okay with it, she was okay with it. She's an accomplice. She's guilty. But it also is like you know, there, there always comes up this question of like, at what point weren't you like, that's too far? And then there you go.
1: And we'll talk about it.
2: So we'll we'll get there. Uh, All the right. The darkness is my friend. The darkness hides things that I would rather people not see. <laughs> that's why I embrace it rather than fear it. So.
0: Talk about it. Oh, we talk about it. Talk about it. Talk Holy about wow. it. Talk about it.
1: Ooh. Hey. <laughs> I just mixed two songs, so just ignore me. Yes, you did. All right. Let's get back into I'm it. All
2: right. I'm right. I'm so it started
1: January 31st, and it's Molly's
2: Spinnakee. Right. On January 3rd. Right. Yep. That's where we're starting. One, two, three. Take it away. On January 31st, 1976, is when their sadistic game began. They picked up 19-year-old hitchhiker Marlies Spanicky in Chico, California. They drove her to her intended destination, but as she was getting out of the car, Cameron grabbed her and forced her back into the car. Spanaki was brought to the hooker home, where she was hung from her wrists in the basement, undressed and tortured for a day. She was then shot in the stomach with a pellet gun and subsequently strangled by Cameron for unknown reasons. Jesus, the body was later buried in a shallow grave near Lassen Volcanic National Park and never recovered. So, how did? Okay,
1: I think it's like it came up in trial kind he of. He confessed but, to yeah it or
2: something. Oh wow, God! At the but time, they never found her
1: body, so they were never charged.
2: Hmm. Wow. At the time, and this is even more chilling, police suspected that Spanicky's boyfriend was responsible for her disappearance because the two of them had had an argument just before Spanicky disappeared.
1: Yeah, and it didn't really go into if he was charged with anything. But isn't that creepy? Like,
2: it's creepy How something could be
1: like pinned on you and it has nothing to yeah, do with it. Yeah,
2: he might have been, you know, if he was their prime suspect, who knows what he went through. So, do you want to tell us a little bit back to the Blue Van Lease?
1: Yeah, so. Like we said, Colleen was picked up by Cameron and Janice and their baby. Thought everything was okay, was rolling along just fine. Cameron had to go pee and he needed to get some gas. You rub the microphone on your arm. I hear it in my head like a little song. (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay, so back at the blue van. So she was, you know, not getting any word vibes from them yet. She was just fine. They were riding along, and Cameron did need to go to the bathroom, so he stopped at a rest stop to fill up some gas, stretch his legs, and go to the bathroom. Now, Colleen did get out of the car to stretch her legs, and oddly enough, she would later recall while she was at this gas station, she began to feel uneasy about the couple. Now, at this point, they hadn't really done too much to make her feel that way but she said she got this overwhelming sense of dread sense of i like something's not right and it's so interesting how your intuition kind of kicks in and that that takes over and she claimed quote a voice told me to run and jump out a window and never look back end quote but she eased her nerves and told herself she was with a typical family they seemed like good people and she got back in the van and that she, you know, didn't really have anything to worry about. It was just all in her head. Which, you know, I do that to myself a lot too. I always feel uneasy, or because I research this stuff so much that when I feel uneasy, I do talk myself out of it. I'm like I'm just being paranoid because I look up this stuff too much. Yeah, which is pretty but much what I tell myself. You also got to
2: be wary of things around you. you
1: know. Yeah, you have to. You really need to listen to those instincts. Cameron got done peeing, and they went on their way back on the road. And uh colleen did get back in the car with them she did not listen to the voices you know you know her subconscious telling her you know something's not right with these people something's a little off she thought you know everything was safe and sound so they're driving along just you know on the road again and went on the merry way they were in the middle of a seemingly isolated area pretty much the middle of nowhere just on the highway when Cameron quickly veered his van off the road. So he, like, randomly ran off the road when no one else was around. Obviously, this sent huge alarm bells in Colleen's uh, head, and he pulled a knife to her throat and gagged her and tied her up, and Matt, he forced a wooden box that was 20 pounds over her head. Yeah, now- I'm sorry.
2: For those that are hard of hearing, What? <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's he so he was a skilled carpenter and he constructed a box that was completely soundproof, completely vis- like vision vision proof, completely black dark inside and it was cushioned so it was um ins what's it called when you insulated. yeah, insulated so she couldn't be heard and it was 20 pounds and he put it over her head and locked it. And there's pictures of this. We'll post them when we when we get into this. So he put this on her head. She couldn't see, she couldn't hear, and she had very, very little air to breathe. And that was how she rode the rest of the way to where they were going. And the box only confined her head and it blocked out sound and light and it prevented the flow of fresh air. So she, the more she freaks out, probably the harder it is to breathe in this box. This would only be the beginning of Colleen's nightmare map. Before Janice agreed to Aiden Cameron's sick, sexually deprived game, She did put forth a rule that he was not to have penetrative sex with anyone that they brought home. However, this did eventually later change. So Janice did have rules of her own. She said, you know what, we can kidnap a sex slave for you, but you can't. No D in the P. None of that. That's where I draw the line.
2: Sounds to me like she was very much complicit in this whole thing.
1: We're going to go over it. It's going to be interesting.
2: I mean, I'm I'm excited to
1: hear your opinion. Um... Yeah, so that's basically the only line she drew in the sand. She said, you do whatever you want, but none of that. That's, you know, that's ruining the sanctity of our marriage. You know, I'm okay with you, you know, whatever. But no. So on the first night of her kidnapping, Stan was stripped naked, as seemingly their trends here. Stripped naked, strung up by her hands, and physically attacked by Cameron with, I think it was a bullwhip as well, being left blindfolded and suspended while the while the pair had sex below her. Jesus. So he couldn't touch her, but they could have sex in front of her. That was fine. Stan was then forced inside a wooden box. Now, the first wooden box that she was put in was akin to a crate. So it was not the dimensions where you could lay down where a human being that's not like a child could lay down in so she was forced to sit upright in this crate and it was completely wooden again all proofed you couldn't hear you couldn't see anything it was very very you know
2: ah uh, this guy must have been a pretty gray carpenter
1: right and had this planned you know yeah. what i mean this this was a plan um and the box had the dimensions, like I said, of a crate, and so she was unable to lie down. So instead, what she did is she had to involuntari- she involuntarily had to sleep sitting up inside the box, and inside the box, she was also bound by chains, so she couldn't move. Over the following months, Cameron would take Stan out for a daily session of torture, including whippings, electric shocks, starvation, and the use of a homemade rack, which those who don't know what a rack is... It's um where they like put your, you know, it's like a t- t- torture device.
2: They oh. lay you down on your back. They extend your arms and your legs, and they tie you to straps. And then they, they pull, pull on it the apart. Straps mm-hmm. and they pull you apart.
1: So over, you know, that happened over the following months, and she lost twenty two pounds after the first month she was in this box. It didn't really go over what they fed her at that point, but I guess she got, like, scrappings, you know, from them.
2: Minimal, honestly, if she was in a fucking box.
1: Yeah, and she lost 22 pounds. Yeah. Now, she was tortured and kept locked inside that box for 23 hours a day, only to be taken out to be beaten and tortured by Cameron.
2: That is insane.
1: Now, Colleen recalled... Quote, Any time I was taken out of the box, I never knew what to expect. Fear of the unknown was always with me as I was kept in the dark both physically and mentally end quote. In August, Stan was allowed to have her first bath since her capture. Now let's recap. she was abducted in May. In August was her first bath. Wow. Now in November she started doing small chores around the house. Of course, Cameron made her do it all in the nude, but she was earning more freedoms, which is important to think about when when we talk about the sentencing later. So made she was her do it all in the nude. Yeah. Now, Cameron claims he was inspired by the BDSM novel *Story of O*, and he took Colleen aside on January twenty second, nineteen seventy eight. So that was how many years after she was originally captured she was captured in 77 so about a year later a year and a few months later he took Colleen aside and said that he was a member of an all-powerful secret organization known simply as quote the company end quote according to him the company had members in all echelons of government industry law enforcement and courts They enslaved women for fun and profit, and they used high-tech surveillance to track them at all times to ensure that they didn't escape and inform the public. Now, he said if they tried to, the company would retaliate immediately against them and their relatives. Cameron then presented Stan with a full-fledged, quote, slave contract, end quote, granting Michael Powers absolute control over Stan's body, soul, and any possessions she might acquire. The contract was signed by Cameron and Stan and also by Janice, who named herself as Janice Powers. So he was calling himself Michael Powers, which obviously was not his name. His name is Cameron Um, as their witness. So per the document, Cameron did not allow Colleen to have a name. He wanted to completely absolve her of her identity. And so he renamed her and he said she was only therefore to be known as Kay. And she had to wear a collar.
2: What the fucking...
1: Yeah, it's a mess. Cameron reportedly wanted Stan to be like the female character in the 1954 story that we were just talking about, Story of O, which is where he got this idea for the company, and soon started raping her, which consisted of oral rape as well. Cameron did not want to have vaginal sex with Stan because he considered that to be a breach in his agreement with his wife. So apparently that meant something to him. Instead, he raped her... Uh, vaginally and anally with implements. Following this, the Hooker family did end up moving to a mobile home in Red Bluff with Stan, where she was kept locked in wooden boxes under the couple's waterbed. So at that point, they had moved her, moved her from a box that was akin to a dog crate to a box that was more akin to a coffin. So the second box, all, they could, all she could do was lie down. Be- in, whereas the first box, she had to kind of crouch, like fetal position whereas second box, all she could do was lie down, and they put it underneath their bed, their waterbed nonetheless. Oh, my God. So she spent most of this, the second half of this captivity lying down. Now, in 1978, Janice gave birth to a second child on the waterbed above Stan. Colleen said that her faith in God and her belief of escape helped her to survive, and her greatest fear was of the company, which Cameron, quote, reinforced daily. So he made sure she knew the company was a real thing and that that put the fear in her so she would not ever try to escape. This was, this was her life now, and if she wanted to do anything about the company, would step in and make sure she didn't. So she found it easier if she just complied with his commands, and in doing so, she was awarded more freedoms. It seemed the more she was complicit—not complicit—the more she complied with his demands and was, you know, less combative and didn't fight him back— He let her do more and more stuff. You know, he let her work around the house. He let her go outside. He let her tend to the kids. So now, at this point, she was allowed to go out and jog, work in the yard, and care for the family's children in that mobile home. Now, even with an open door, neighbors, and a telephone, she made absolutely no attempt to escape. As according to her, her fear of the company kept her from seeking help. She really believed the company was a real Entity that would get her if she made any moves to leave.
2: And honestly, as much as so, I've thought about things like this again, but um, it often strikes me as something that is very much believable. Mm hmm this type of narrative about an all-powerful and overseeing government well, body or something like that. I think it's like far that. off from No, like I, I don't either. That's what I mean. I think, like, honestly, it's very believable in our modern society that either, like, you know, go watch the movie Enemy of the State, go do some research on the amount of data processing the NSA is able to contribute every day, the number crunching that they do, the data crunching that they do, then go look at the CIA's operations over the last 50 years, I mean, like, the, go- the U.S. government alone, and they're one of the more people-friendly governments. And there are outside entities that are not government-related that also do things like this. So yeah. it's not not too far off for no, her No,
1: especially when it's reinforced daily and you're young and impressionable. And back absolutely. then they didn't have, like, the news or, you know, YouTube or whatever. So she really did believe what he was saying, and he was really convincing. By the end of the year she was allowed to phone her family and tell them that she was working as a nanny for a nice couple that she found on the road Jeez. so she had contacted her family and said yeah mom and dad I'm with this family and I'm working for them as a nanny they're really great to me don't worry about me I'm okay so in March this I've never really understood I don't exactly know how this came about but it's important to note um sorry, one second. Okay, yeah, so it's important to note this it was kind of unclear how this this came about, but basically so in March 1981 after more than 3 years of captivity, Cameron decided it would be okay to take Colleen home to visit her parents. Now, of course, there were stipulations. She was not to mention anything about the company, she was not to mention anything about her captivity. Uh, obviously et etc cetera, etc cetera. and hooker's threats seemed to work because colleen feared the company her, the threats that she was he was telling her about them you know she felt that they were real they she was afraid and so she didn't tell her mom and her dad that she had been abducted and forced to sci- sign a slave contract which we'll have to go over this because that's like the, one of the most interesting parts to me all of all of this really but
2: contract
1: um, well not the contract the, f- the, I mean this is Stockholm Syndrome at it's finest right so even more so Matt when she was home her parents took a picture of her and Cameron thinking his name was Mike at the time by the way and they quoted that they took a picture thinking that they were a happy couple she introduced him as her fiance and there's a picture of the two of them smiling together let me show you real quick. I just want to get your get your thoughts.
2: That is weird as all
1: hell. Right? Here wait. This is a picture of the two of them when they went home to visit mom and dad. Wow. At that time, he was actively abusing her. But that's what her parents saw. Happy couple, you know, nannying, all of that. Wow. so yeah it's it's incredible it really is it's interesting to think about so back to this so basically she was home with her family didn't say a word didn't you know to her family they saw they thought something was off they thought she was in a cult or something she was acting a little bit off but they had no idea the torture she was enduring at the mm. hands of this guy god and i think he came off pretty charismatic as well
2: they probably looked at him like yeah he seems like a nice guy you mm-hmm. know Taking good care of her. Based on their... The thing is, like, your impression of somebody is based on what impression someone gives you so mm-hmm. often of the time. you know, Absolutely. Like, so I think if she probably told them, yeah, they're taking good care of me, we're having a good time, and they're paying me. They have you know,
1: no reason to believe otherwise. Why
2: would they think otherwise? And they see it firsthand. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know.
1: And the only things that they said that gave them pause was that, you know, she was wearing ha- homemade clothes. They didn't have much money. And... They did, she wasn't talking to them for the last couple of years. Yeah. But beyond that, she just thought, they just thought she joined a cult and wasn't allowed. That's basically what they chopped it up to, that she was in a cult. They're just thankful to have her home. They didn't want to scare her off again. You know, they didn't want to cut the communication. So they didn't say anything. They didn't voice their concerns because they didn't want to push her away. You know what I mean? Because when you're parent, especially if you're, I guess, in a cult... It's interesting, though, because, like I said, they just they just believe she was in a call. And even then, even like I that said,
2: wouldn't that freak you out a little bit, though? Wouldn't you be yeah, worried? Yeah, I think they like, were a bit uh, worried.
1: But they like I said, they didn't they this was the first time they were seeing and contacting their daughter or being able to contact yeah, her in years. They, were they didn't want to mess her. it up. They this was this is if this is what they were going to get. This is the, what they were going to keep.
2: They were happy to have her.
1: And they didn't want her to disappear forever. They wanted her to stay in their lives, and they were happy to get her in any capacity. And she seemed happy. I guess they didn't think she was underfed or anything like that, so they didn't think much of it. Now, this visit did change the course of things a bit, but not the way you would expect. So you would think now that she was, you know, getting freedom, she was going jogging, she was able to work with the kids – um, that she and now she's able to go home and call her family. That she'd be given even more freedom. Well, that's not what happened, Matt. So Cameron nope. figured after they got home from this that he was worried he was giving her too much freedoms. So back in the box she went under the bed for twenty three hours a day for the next three twenty three hours a day for the next three years.
2: My God,
1: is that not? Like it's just horrible
2: I cannot fathom Fathom that At all
1: Nope
2: That's like worse than hell
1: And you may wonder you know when you're stuck in a little baby coffin and you're in there 23 hours a day, you must have to go to the bathroom, right? Well,
2: Go to the bathroom or just want to talk or do anything.
1: So what she did was they gave her a bedpan, which she would have to, they put it at the bottom of her feet. She'd have to hook her feet under the bedpan and push it underneath her body to go to the bathroom. She's in a coffin, right? She can't sit up and bend over to get this thing. It was like some Kill Bill type shit. She had to maneuver her way around this coffin and learn how to use... Or you know her feet to to get her things where they needed to be. That is terrible. God, that's awful. Now we mentioned a few times that the hookers did have two children. One was there when she was abducted, and then the other one was born while she was underneath the bed. Um, and you might wonder, you know, these girls are going to grow up. What are they? They're seeing this woman who's, you know, being trusted to take care of them sometimes, and then she randomly disappears. What do they think is going on? Do they know? Well, they were little, but they believed that Kay would go home at night, but little did they know, of course, after they had gone to bed, that's when he would take her out of the box to be uh, tortured and fed. Now, she was reportedly not allowed to make any noise and had to lie still 23 hours long at a time in the dark with little air to breathe. In the summer, conditions were especially harsh on her, as the temperatures would swelter to over a hundred degrees in her box. To feed herself, she ate cold scraps of food. So, I don't know how she survived. Because, spoiler, alert, she survived. Thank God. I don't know. There is a oh, will to God. live, and she she went above and beyond. I was that.
2: gonna say I would have probably tried and killed these people, but. I guess Stockholm Syndrome took over there,
1: too. Mm-hmm. So in May 1984, Cameron allowed Stan finally to get out of that box and even took it a step further, and he let her take a part-time job as a motel maid under the alias K Powers. And he also let her attend church with the family, which was mainly with Janice. Janice was the one who was, you know, an avid church goer. Now, Cameron really, really started to believe in this whole sex slave thing and didn't want Colleen to go anywhere. In fact, Matt, he wanted her to become his second wife. And what he wanted to do was get another person to be a new sex slave. So he wanted to kind of take Colleen under his wing, make her his second wife, kind of have the same role as Janice, and get a new slave. Now, this snapped something in Janice, something not cute. She was angry. The fact that he wanted to bring another woman into their marriage really, really riled her up. That was not okay with her. She had enough. She was, she was done. She didn't want, I don't think she wanted to kidnap anyone else. She, she was just over this. The whole thing she didn't want, she was jealous and disgusted that her husband wanted another wife and, and, you know, wanted to break up that sanctimonious uh you know relationship that they had
2: especially probably wondering that's just more element of risk Mm -hmm. the more people you bring into a situation like that
1: yeah but this is the this is just wild to me because that is what made her snap and she decided to visit colleen at work at at the motel that she worked at as a maid and she told her everything matt she told her the company was nothing. It didn't exist. It was made up. She told her her pastor as well. And her pastor told Colleen to flee. Said, get out of there. Yeah. So Janice said, you know what? Enough's enough. None of this is real. Get out. Get out while you can. You've been abused. You, there's no one that's going to kill you or your family. That's all just a farce. Get out. And again, she admitted it to the pastor as well. And he, he told her the same thing. So Janice confessed that starting with their first date, she had also been tortured, brainwashed, and referred to as a whore over the years by Cameron. In 1984, Janice dropped off Colleen at a bus station secretly without Cameron's knowledge. Stan decided to phone Cameron from a bus station to tell him that she was leaving once and for all, and apparently he broke down in tears, begging her not to go. Even then, Colleen agreed with Janice to not go to the police in order to give Cameron a chance to reform himself. So she didn't. But Janice further stated that she survived their relationship with the Nile and compartmentalization.
2: Compartmentalization, yes.
1: Compartmentalization. Janice also burned their original slave contract, although a copy had been found later thereon. But after three months after they had released Colleen, something again was just not sitting right with Janice. And Janice decided enough was enough and she was gonna report her husband to the police.
2: Good for her. Okay.
1: Yep, both he she reported her both for Stan's abduction and for the murder of Malise. Is that what her name was?
2: Marlies. Marlies, yeah. Hispanic-y.
1: So that's that's how that came up is because Janice said that they did that. And it kind of hit all the markers. But again, they never found her body, so there was not much to do with that one. So, unfortunately, which is weird. You would think with a confession and without a body, you could just kind of figure it out, especially if it was like under the same circumstances. I would think so. Yeah. So, Hooker was only charged with the crimes committed against Stan. So, because, of course, again, the body wasn't found. On October 31st, 1985. Cameron was found guilty of 10 felony counts and sentenced to 95 years in prison and given a $50,000 fine. In 2015, so three years ago, he was denied parole and it will be a minimum of 15 more years before he's eligible for parole again. But Janice was not charged in return for her testimony, and she continues to live in California under a completely different name. Colleen Stan was captive for seven years, from 1977 to 1984. Now, she suffered suffered chronic back and shoulder pain as a result of her confinement, and when she returned home, she received extensive therapy in order to deal with the trauma of... (laughs) <laughs> kill you Sorry man How are you How do you survive life
2: What Falling
1: asleep.
2: Being this tired, I don't know. I didn't get much sleep this weekend.
1: Um. Yes. So when she returned home, she received extensive therapy, changed her name, and eventually got married and had a daughter of her own. And has in recent years become a grandmother.
2: So you gotta love that her story actually Thank turned out to be one. God. of God, and
1: she's actually done a lot of interviews regarding this, which is unbelievably brave. Yeah,
2: um, that's surprising. And to they've me. made,
1: of course, a ton of Lifetime movies and movies regarding this case as well because it's this is very famous
2: obviously for those of you guys aren't familiar it's actually a very well-known researched case
1: yeah so colleen joined an organization committed to helping abused women and earned a degree in accounting the public eye and even pop culture of course there are trolls out everywhere they have scrutinized her because of her severe case of stockholm syndrome now for those who don't know which we kind of alluded to in the beginning stockholm syndrome In Stockholm Syndrome is where victims of, you know, kidnapping or a crime may develop empathy for the captors as a psychological survival instinct. In Stan's case, she accepted the conspiracy Hooker used to coerce her into slavery and extended imprisonment. And over the years of captivity, Stan's trauma did not permit her to act against Hooker. So that's what people need to understand She was traumatized. She was being brainwashed. She was being fed this information. So, yes, she may have had 1,300 different times to escape. Why didn't she? Why didn't she run to a neighbor? Why didn't she call the police? Why didn't she tell her parents? Why didn't she, you know, tell the people she worked with? She was brainwashed. She genuinely believed up until Janice told her that this shit's not real. Get out while you can. She believed that this was a real thing. So she believed if she said a thing to anyone that she her family would be killed.
2: Yeah. And not like the company powerful would thing. come and get you know, and that that fear is really motivating, but also it's controlling. You know, like it can fear. That's can, exactly why they do it. Yeah. Fear can motivate you or it can take you over.
1: Absolutely. So let's talk about it, Matt. Let's talk about eye for an eye. So, I, I, I. <laughs> so Um, let's talk about his sentence first. So, he was sentenced to 10 felony counts, sentenced to 95 years in prison, and a $50,000 fine. So, 95 years, he'll be dead before he gets out of prison, unless he gets one of these paroles. Um, because he was 23 when all this started. Mind you, he was young when this began. He was only a few years older than Colleen.
2: Well, it seems to me like this dude was pretty far fucked up at that point already. So...
1: I think the punishment fits the crime.
2: I agree. I think honestly... Because he had no
1: plans on stopping.
2: Yep. I think honestly, if it weren't for Janice turning the corner, Colleen's bravery, between that and just time elapsing... I think she might have been dead. I think he might have killed her again, and like done this again. Just started the whole cycle over again. Like you said, he was a young man. He would have just kept going, probably. You know? And he already
1: killed one person. So what's yep. to say he's not going to kill another?
2: What's one more person? I mean, allegedly, I gone? guess,
1: because he wasn't ever convicted. But that's what yeah. Janice says, and that's she was there. Saying. Yeah. So I do. I think we agree. Punishment fits the crime. There. Would you have made it any harsher? Or would you just say, no, throw him in the prison, keep him there. I think prison's fine. So I'm in
2: prison and keep him there. I wouldn't really say you need to extend the sentence. Yeah. He's or like send him prison. Yeah, I hope. It's like people who are like, Jerry Sandusky was too harshly sentenced. I'm like, he was sentenced to like 60 years and he's like 70 years yeah, old.
1: Yeah, he's going to die. In he
2: ain't getting out. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. honestly, it doesn't matter what happens. He ain't getting out.
1: Yeah. Um, Let's talk about Janice. Janice got no time, got yeah. to change her name, and is now is still living and alive. Maybe listening to this show, probably not, but maybe...
2: Probably not, but, but we'll say she's, hello in case.
1: She's thriving. She, I mean, I don't know, thriving, but she's she's alive. So what do you think about that? Do you think she should have got any time? Do you think she was a beaten woman, battered down by this abusive man? Also, she, I mean, she said she was brainwashed by this guy, but then what made her... You know what I mean? It's kind of... What I think do you there's
2: think? also part of the Stockholm Syndrome that comes into play there, but I think Janice is guilty more of being complicit less of being brainwashed. Maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit of both, but I also think, like...
1: Do you think she was scared of him? Yeah. brainwashed? I think she loved him and was
2: scared of him and was all that and the above and was, you know, worried about what he'd do if she wasn't there and, you know, what if I leave him he'll hurt himself or he'll hurt someone else or hurt me. And I think it's all, like, adding up to... Yeah, but... You knew he was going to do this. You knew getting married he was going to abduct and try and hurt someone. You knew he and killed someone. And it's interesting someone.
1: that the thing that made you snap was cuz you wanted to marry the captive. Yeah. It's not like the years of torture and abuse that made you snap. It was The
2: jealousy that The jealousy snapped, yeah.
1: You know what? It's interesting to think about that. And and that really kind of puts into place. So no she she got she's never got any time in jail.
2: So I don't believe that's fair. I'm one of those people who I think if you testify against someone, depending on what their level of, com- like, Compulsive. level of, the- there's a word. What's
1: it called? <laughs> None of the ones I said are correct.
2: No, but there's a word.
1: There's a word.
2: Level of involvement, I'll go with. If we don't know her level of involvement beyond that she had some idea that he was going to abduct women and was going to do all these crazy things, then I still think she was probably deserving of some time in prison because she was complicit in keeping her captive, not telling anyone for that whole time, helping kidnap two women, knowing he shot one, and then... Yeah, she did the right thing in the end. I'll give you that, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's... What do you think would have been a fair sentence for her if she would have been sentenced? Or do you think it should have been probation? Or like she five should years. Have, yeah. I I think I agree. I mean, I understand... I also think
2: she might have had some Stockholm Syndrome sim- mm. Well, and I think around. that's
1: the angle that they played. Not only did she testify, and she's the reason that Colleen was able to get out of this, um, but that she was also brainwashed by him and maybe believed. I mean, she knew the company wasn't real, which is very clear because she told Colleen that it wasn't real. She said straight up, this isn't a real thing. Get out. Let's. So she wasn't brainwashed in thinking that in that aspect, maybe she was brainwashed, like, this guy's going to make think the shit was, out of me and kill me. I saw no, him I think she was brainwashed
2: else. into thinking that what he was doing was, like, the best way for their relationship to work.
1: Yeah. Which is, so it does make me think, I agree with you, I don't think the punishment fits the crime there. I think if she was genuinely tortured and abused, okay, then I, I do kind of understand. But I think she needs extensive therapy, I, I mean, which we don't know what she's in, but I think... Definitely a strict probation period to make sure. Cause she was complete. She had sex underneath someone dangling from her ceiling.
2: Yeah, it's not like she didn't know that there mm-hmm. was somebody chained up in a box in her basement. What the hell took you so long to decide?
1: Well, seven years. Yeah, seven years, twenty three hours a day in a My
2: box. My God, that is an awful thought.
1: So I, I think I agree. I think she should have had a little bit. But well, like I said, it, I mean, it is hard to note because it didn't go too much into her real... I mean, yes, it's that she was abused, and, and I do think that needs to be taken into consideration. I, I don't think she deserves, like, 95 years, but I do think, like, two, three, five years, somewhere around there would be sufficient, or extensive probation. You can't even walk outside the letter of the law and,
2: and even be, and then, okay, yeah. Even um, then, I think you should still have, like, an ankle bracelet. And I think...
1: I think extensive therapy is important because she's used to being but um we relationships. So yeah. she, she, she was not gonna, to, someone, I mean, not gonna. see on the news. It, she was complicit in it. Who's to say like that? that some other freak isn't gonna find her and be like, okay, she's easily manipulative. Right. Manipul- Manipulated. Manipu- um,
2: Manipu- and then do it again. Uh, you know what
1: I mean? It, that's that's the thing, and I think that's the only reason I would say that. I mean, not the only reason. She was. I don't know. But I agree. I don't think the punishment fits the crime there. I think she should have had some sort of stipulations, not just like you're free. You know what I mean?
2: I think there's like, her testimony is what probably convicted him. Yeah. So there's some credence and there's a premium for a testimony of an eyewitness to all that he did.
0: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But accomplice testimony isn't the same as eyewitness testimony. It's often considered hearsay. It's often considered to be biased towards the person who is testifying, obviously. She's probably not telling them all that she did. how do you
1: think she got off? Do you think they just didn't care because they were happy to have him and her free? I'm curious what her parents felt Maybe. Like. They met this motherfucker and Maybe. thought was her fiancé.
2: Yeah, that is crazy to me. And the picture is even more chilling. I know. You know like, hey, it he all hugged up. up. Like, what? First of all, he's older than her by a couple of years. Now, like, not much, yeah, much older. Yeah, but he looks but still, old. He In that picture, older.
1: he looks old as shit.
2: Yeah. And it's like, what? But, I yeah, know.
1: I think we agree on this one, though, Matt. I think it's, I don't think I would have sentenced Janice to nothing. <laughs> And I do think he got everything coming to him.
2: I would agree. I think it was well deserved what he got I think she got off a little bit easy.
1: And I can't imagine like the I'm so happy for Colleen that she's, you know, started a life and she's, you know, gotten through this. Sounds I like she's even doing even really imagine. well, honestly, mm-hmm.
2: from what it seems, but
1: the only you know, I mean, of course I'm sure she has emotional trauma and physical physical trauma for sure, because oh. she's stuffed in a box. I can't even <laughs> I bet her claustrophobia is some other kind of serious thing.
2: I, don't I honestly don't even want to think about all the psychological issues she probably has. No, but
1: thank God. And it gives you hope, though. This kind of case, she was missing for seven years. And thank God, like, it kind of gives you hope. It does. It's kind of like another Elizabeth Smart or Jason yeah, Dugard. It's, it
2: can happen. It can happen. Keep you fighting.
1: Can, it's not, I mean, yes, the first 24 hours are the most crucial, but... Um, it, you can get out of these things alive. The willpower Absolutely. to live is a very, very strong thing. And I think that's an important note to leave on.
2: Very powerful. So,
1: all right, guys, give us those five star reviews. Come check us out. Come Ooh. check out ifrypod.com. We're on there. Matt will be writing some blog posts. I'll be writing some blog posts. We'll be chatting with you guys on there on our social media sites. We're always on Instagram. And right now, we posted something. I think it's hilarious because Mariah of of Carrie's face looks like Michael Myers' yeah, mask.
2: I spit. <laughs> my water out this morning.
1: <laughs> and the fact that she responded like can you fucking stop yeah, tagging me in these?
2: <laughs> I was dying. Oh my <laughs> gosh. It's,
1: did you know fun fact it's William Shatner's face. Surprise. Is it really? Mhm.
2: The Michael Myers mask, they didn't Let
1: me let me pull it up. I'm pretty sure it's William Shatner. Who is Michael Myers? I'm almost positive. Myers Puck. Myers mask. It says. Yep. Yeah, it says case in point. It has been rumored for decades that the mask and the murders. Mike Myers wore in the Halloween films was in fact based on William Shatner's face. And not just Shatner's face, but Captain Kirk's death mask. And it was created for Star Trek. And that is true. It's a fact. They used the death mask molded from William Shatner's face that they used in Star Trek as the mask of Michael Myers which Um. creepily painted white looks a lot like Mariah Carey and with that we love you guys fun fact of the day check it out on Instagram give us a follow give us some likes give us some love we love hearing from you guys a lot of you have reached out and we're really appreciative it's so cool to hear from you guys and we have a few cases coming up requested by you guys and some really interesting ones for Blind Eye Keep a listen, keep a look out. We love you.
2: We certainly do. Good night. Love.
0: <laughs>
2: I just cried. I just cried out to God for his help and just said, please. I just felt so broken and so violated. Colleen's abductor was a lumber mill worker, Cameron Hooker. Cameron was torturing me one time. He had me hanging up, suspended in the basement. And he came up next to me and he said, go ahead and scream, I'll cut your vocal cords, I've done it before.
0: After seven years' captivity,
2: Colleen escaped from the clutches of her abductor. He was found guilty of kidnapping and rape and sentenced to 100 years. His wife was never prosecuted because she helped Colleen escape and also agreed to testify against her husband. Colleen says she has now rebuilt her life. And now that so many years have passed, it's kind of like it was a whole other lifetime, you know, and this is my new life.